Hey, welcome back to Community Matters. I'm Jay Fidel. This is Think Tech. We're going to talk today about being a developer, what it means. And, and there are different flavors of developers. We're going to examine those flavors uh, with Christine Camp of Avalon, Hawaii. Yeah, the life of a real estate developer in Hawaii. You know, we, we talk about them all the time. We make it clear to our viewership that developers are, you know, essentially the future of the state. They're the ones who build around us. And, you know, despite, you know, government involvement, the fact is that the ideas, the creativity, um, you know, the forward motion comes from developers and their investors. And today it's really a delight to have Christine Camp of Avalon, Avalon Hawaii on the show to talk about, to meet, to meet a real live developer right here, right now. Christine, thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Pleased to be here. So how did you get into this? I mean, did you wake up one morning in grade school and say, oh, I think I want to be a developer? <laughs> real estate development. Um, I didn't study real estate development, but I, my first job was with a real estate developer and, and stuck with it because primarily it's just like what you said, you know, developers create communities. And at a young age, my first job was with a developer when I was 16 and you know, uh, just stayed with it and, and started taking course loads to make sure that I understood what I was doing and the impacts that I was making. Um, so stayed on. Um, this is my 38th year in development. Wow. And uh, enjoyed every minute of it. It's not like work at all. And uh, you can actually go back to projects I've done 20, 30 years ago, and they're still standing, which makes it pretty exciting that, you know, that we've actually created communities. Yeah. And you sound proud of that. And and I am so happy to know you. So I guess the question is, what you know, what what? How do you see? Because you know, in every development is inherently urban planning, always. Um, you know, planning, architecture, engineer development—it's always about planning. And so, how do you see the city? How have you seen the city evolve? How do you see the city evolving now? And how do you see the city evolving in the future? Well, city of Honolulu is such a vast, broad, um, you know, topic, right? Because it, it takes up the entire island, and I, I like to focus on areas where I feel like, um, you know, Avalon can make a a, a dent. So I, I look at areas of um, traffic issues. Um, of course, everyone's talking about affordable housing. You know, my son, when he was five years old, I go to the class and we talk about mom's mom's career, and everyone says. What, what are you going to do about affordable housing from five-year-olds? <laughs> you know, so I know that this affordable housing is a major issue. So filling that gap um, and also, you know, creating um, adaptive reuse of, you know, changing dynamics as to how we live now. So it's not just housing, but changing uses of existing properties in urban areas that are not, you know, utilized to its fullest and, and looking for opportunities to make them more useful. Um, meeting our current needs. So those are the areas that I look for, filling gaps. Uh, we own properties um, on Maui, on Kauai, and, and here on this island, uh, Oahu. And um, each one of our projects are really geared to meeting some of these needs, starting with industrial developments. We, um, we developed industrial parks in Kapolei because traffic was so such an issue, right, from coming in from Kapolei or West Oahu into Honolulu, driving an hour to hour and a half is untenable. Waiting for rail is just a little too long. So we decided to create uh, places of employment. Um, education is another matter where 
you know, there's gaps in education and on, on our high school at Kapolei is, you know, just 2,000, 3,000 kids along the West Oahu area. So we're currently building a high school for a charter school, 400 kids will have a brand new campus in, in the city of Kapolei. But most exciting is adaptive reuse that we've been focused on in, on the, in downtown Honolulu with buildings that are becoming more and more vacant. And I think over the next five years, it, it will be transformed. You know, I'm, I'm so with a lot of vacancies. So we thought we'll get to the front of it by looking at opportunities to change uses um, within downtown Honolulu. And we're working on two projects right now within Honolulu. We're, we're demolishing an existing building that's vacant on Fort Street Mall, two stories on 6,900 square feet. Is that the Model Progress building? No, it's right next to the Catholic Church. Okay. And uh, we are going to be developing, we just got 201H approval to build 66 units uh, for senior low-income housing and then um, a, a resident manager's unit, plus adding, replacing the uh, building we demolished. So we'll have 15,000 square feet of commercial space for uh, for the office use for the church. So that's for a nonprofit. And um, that affordable housing is being built in conjunction with our Davies Pacific Center, which I know you want to talk about. I do, I do. Um, but first, first yeah. the two-story building next to the church. You know, I, I know that building. I've been in, in that building many times. And mm -hmm. uh, let me say that it's an eyesore. <laughs> uh, it has no architectural value whatsoever. Um, it, it would be better demolished. And I, I know that when you build something new there and you offer new uses and new vitality, you're going to change that end of the Fort Street Mall. I know you're thinking about that. And in changing that end of the Fort Street Mall, you are changing the Fort Street Mall and thus downtown. So this is really high leverage to, to work on that building. What do you think? Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, the hope is that we change it for the better, right? I mean, 4th Street Mall has somewhat gotten difficult to walk even during a broad daylight mm -hmm. in certain areas. Union you mean Mall, same thing. You mean dangerous, you mean? Somewhat challenging. Yeah, challenging. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, in an area that is challenging, what you want to do is to invest in those areas to liven it up and bring in more traffic so they become safer safer in numbers. So when we start building and hopefully with our investment at the top of 4th Street, that it would uh, start to enhance other areas as they see that you know it can be financed, right? If, if a project is financeable and it's successful, then you're able to bring that wealth onto the adjacent properties. And so our hope is that it will bring attention to, to that area and that other investors will see that you, know, you can make it happen because nothing happens without dollars. And the dollars can only um, come to the project when you can show success. So we're going to be demonstrating success at that end of the project to um, bring in more interest in redeveloping that area. And it might be us, you know, that they're developing additional projects starting sure. with this. And, and see, yeah, see one project go, and then before you know it, somebody says, mm, I like the way that worked out. Let's mm -hmm. do another one. And yeah. then you change the neighborhood. Is it a mixed use? Uh, plan for, for that building? Mixed use because it's residential and office, right? So it's going to be program offices for the church use where they, they're doing, you know, social work for the, for the surrounding areas, what the church does. And so the land is owned by the Catholic church. 
but you know, it hasn't been occupied for quite some time because it's obsolete. And so what we want to do is demolish that building and, um, and build a high rise. Um, you know, even for me, uh, it's incredible that our team was able to come up with a 17 story building on 6,900 square foot of land. I live on an 8,000 square foot lot. Okay. So to, to be able to build, you know, uh, 67 units and 15,000 square feet of program office space, it's, it's phenomenal. I, and I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, starting that project. It is, you know, I mean, downtown has been dead after hours for, you know, really all of our lives. It, never caught up in terms of residential. Um, and uh, Chinatown is really a sad case in the sense that um, there could have been residential uh, above the ground floor units, the ground floor properties there. Um, but there was uh, some kind of zoning issue about parking, making it very hard. So nobody actually developed that. And, you know, I know so many people who would have been delighted uh, to, to, to buy or rent um, residential properties in Chinatown. So this kind of answers that question. This this brings life to downtown because, as you say, on the Fourth Street Mall and elsewhere, if you have residential, there are people walking and shopping and recreating and so forth, and it changes the character of the neighborhood. And this is a core neighborhood. We have to save it, Christine. We are going to be saving. There's a, actually, you know, I want to uh, share with you that there's some really exciting things going on in downtown. And um, so our project is a senior low-income project because it's for those making 60% of median income to 30% of median income. So we'll be, um, it's, that's one project, but there that, that is- That answers the uh, question that was put to you um, by your son, was it? Your young son who said, mom, what are you doing for affordable? Affordable housing. <laughs> well, that's our, you know, so we, we're doing a lot of affordable housing. We just finished the uh, triage center for the I, um, Institute of Human Services, where um, on Dillingham, uh, it's for eight beds and a treatment center. So it used to be a veterinarian hospital, and we uh, donated our services to get it developed for them. And they just had an open house yesterday. So exciting. And we were able to do Halekipa's, um, you know, uh, housing project is $15 million. We completed that on a pro bono basis too. So we do a lot. I mean, I think, you know, it's ringing in my my ears what, what the little kids say, what are you doing about affordable housing? <laughs> we're doing a lot. So it's a spectrum, right? So we, we do, uh, we're doing uh, free services for nonprofits who's really taking people who, are, who, who need services. So one is foster kids who are aged out of their foster system. Halakipa takes them on and um, you know provides housing for them. I mean, you're 18, 19, 20 years old. You don't know where you're going, but you're you're aged out of a system. So we built, we help build that facility for them. And then IHS's new uh, triage center is really if you're drugged out or, or you're destabilized, you're not taking medication. We need to make sure that they're they're stabilized before we can give them treatment and, and move them into more permanent housing or even to shelters. So we just finished that eight bed facility. And then of course now senior housing uh, for those who are making, you know, moderate or very low income with the, now they can afford with their social security check or disability check, these units that are going to be one bedrooms, but come to the other end of the spectrum is we are looking at now workforce housing. So Davies Pacific will be uh, workforce housing priced somewhere between 500,000 to $650,000. That's our goal. That, that's, that, that is doable for a lot of people, middle-class people. 
I so, hope so, because that's our target. Of what they can afford. That's fabulous. Yeah. So we interviewed every one of the tenants, except for 10, because they, they were already downsizing or moving elsewhere. So we didn't need to interview them. But we interviewed all the tenants to make sure they were working on you know, what they need. Many of them, like you and I, who used to you know, occupy those spaces, they love that building and really don't want to move. So we wanted to make opportunities. Initially, we were going to make the entire building residential. Because, you know, if you can build workforce housing at a, at a certain price, you just can't build them fast enough because there are, there's a huge demand for that. Um, but um, when we talked to these businesses, uh, what was very evident to me is that a lot of them want to make, stay there. And uh, we wanted to make room for them. So a third of the building will be maintained as office, office condos or office for rent. They, they don't want to buy their space. And then the, the other two thirds of it, the entire tower will be built as um, residential, mostly one bedroom units, and there may be some two bedroom options. Well, you know, this was something really appealing that I hadn't thought of when I first read about this project, is that if, if you are in an office, and, and, you know, I mean, I spent most of my career, and I know you spent a good part of your career in the Davies building, mm -hmm. I like the building, I like the location, I like the whole gestalt, you know, the the aesthetics of it and all that. It was it was always uh, pleasing to me to be in that building. So, mm -hmm. okay, if I, you know, I'm not in that building anymore because we, you know, ThinkTech has other other space requirements now. But you know, the reality is, if I had an office there, mm -hmm. and then I could buy um, or rent um, a residential unit on another floor in the same building, let me get this straight. I could get up in the morning, take the elevator in my office, and in the evening I could take the elevator back to my my residence. <laughs> That's the idea. Why drive, right? <laughs> Why drive? Exactly. I mean, what a beautiful idea! And so you have a, a community. You get to know your neighbors. You get to know your you know your 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 office neighbors too. And you you live in a place and work in a place that is aesthetically pleasing. What's not to like about that? You have a ready market, no? Yeah. So the, the key thing about bringing people back into downtown is making sure that there's sufficient synergy and safety, that people feel safe that they're living in this area. So security is a key thing. And the other thing is to enliven the ground floors. The, the, you know, the, at the street level, if you look at it, a lot of the businesses um, that are in hybrid or they're in the downsizing mode, a lot of people are working from home. So the retail Faces of downtown, you know, the, the, there's really not a, a vibrant retail scene that we'd like to see. Restaurants are closing. There's changes to all, a lot of these facades. So from our building, what we're going to do is to recapture the ground floor and make that into a food, beverage, pauhana gathering place that's, you know, hip at night and is convenient during the days. So that it's it, it's really active and it creates a safe space. We're going to be the first office building in downtown to be hundred percent pet friendly because we'll have a dog park, and ah. your employees oh, can bring wow. their dogs to to work. <laughs> uh, and and so you know some of that because you know why when people walk their dogs it creates a sense of community. Yes. And your dogs need to be walked two, three times a day. I can tell you, I have a dog that needs to, <laughs> needs to be walked. And, and during the pandemic, a lot of us changed our lifestyle and, and made the commitment to have pets. 
And what do you do with these pets? You know, they stay home all day by themselves. And so, of course, they want to work for, you know, that your workers want to work from home. So to bring them back into downtown, we'd like to create a, um, you know, walkable community, including welcoming their pets. So our building will be pet friendly. Our ground floor will be food friendly and it will be, you know, really focusing on the foodies and, and, and really be a lively, exciting place. We're, we're recapturing Merchant Street to make that into just think about New York, urban spaces, downstairs. They capture their streets and they have lighting at night and people are doing their pauhana or after hour work drinks, having brunch after work starts or having meetings or lunch hours. It's going to be Merchant Street front for us. Um, you know, Podmore started the high-end type of dining concept, which is very unusual in that corner. And we're looking at doing more of that. So. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle, a quality of life thing. It's creating, um, you know, a, a, a city, a city community, open space, better living environment, all that stuff. And, you know, it really takes somebody who understands the local shtick to be able to understand what what they need, somebody who talks talks to the tenants and the, and the prospective tenants, and including especially the dog owners, and uh, I'm, I'm so impressed with that. Well, well, I mean, some of the tenants actually, you know, one of the things that was very significant, in addition to being that they love they love the space, many of the owners said, you know, we'd like to buy some of those units not for us, but our workers, so they can right. rent have oh, affordable yeah. housing that they can rent from because we can't recruit talented people because they can't afford to live here. So if we can buy some of those units, we want to rent it to our, our, our employees as part of our employee retention program and adding to the quality of life. That I, was really interesting for me. Yeah. What, what a just creative idea. This loaded with all kinds of creativity. And I can, and I can see, um, you know, Merchant Street turning into like the West Village with all these interesting shops and restaurants and all that. It needs that for the vitality that you're talking about. And, and compare that, if you will, if you don't mind, compare that with what, what happens, what is happening in Kaka'ako uh, with those 30-story, uh, um, you know, uh, a see-through, and I call it a see-through uh, luxury sky-rise buildings that are owned by people from far away who actually never visit or rent to local people um this the you know the luxury uh, towers that's really different than what you're doing completely different can you distinguish yes, for but me I'm, I'm going to reframe your your statement because you know remember for housing we need all the spectrum of housing we can't just feel all affordable because then the area will be concentrated with people with very low income you need it to be infused with all levels of income. And then when people, you know, live in an affordable housing, other than seniors, right? You, the, you aspire to move up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And to move up the ladder, we have to build all spectrums. And, you know, I'm actually grateful for the buildings that they're building in, um, in Kakako and in the Alamoana corridor. You know, we're, we're co-developers at Sky Alamoana. I'm grateful for that because what it does is that when you have an infusion of supply at any given time, like a building with 500 units or 800 units get completed at one time. Guess what happens to the market dynamics? It helps reduce the rents. It helps reduces the price. So while for the developers, it's a huge risk, for the public, they now have a supply of housing that they otherwise would not have had. In addition, for the city, 
who is providing benefits to their residents. It creates a, a supply or, or a source of constant revenue stream because of the property taxes that these high, you know, high income properties have that they can feed into our city's tax tax coffers to help us, you know, maintain our roads, provide affordable housing programs. So I'm actually happy about those developments. And so what we're doing, as I said in the earlier statement, is that we're filling gaps. So if they're doing very high end, we're going to do workforce, very mid end. But you know, our project, we're not going, we're not mandated. Our affordable housing is already provided by the senior housing projects. Our building won't have any affordable requirements, but we are still pricing them at affordable. So there's no buybacks or, you know, did you know that a lot of these projects that have buybacks, which I, I'm just really upset about because people who pay a down payment for their mortgage and pay mortgage, which is usually more than rent and property taxes and insurance and maintenance fees, should not have to subject themselves to getting approval from the, the, the city or state to sell their home or to refinance their homes. Did you know that? If you no, buy one of these yeah. income restricted units and you wanna refinance your home to send your kid to college, you need their approval. And then the city won't let you improve your property too much because they don't want the price to go up too high. So if you wanna improve your property, you need their approval. They won't approve a significant improvement to your property. And so if you own your home, wouldn't you want the, you know, want the right to be able to do that? So when we weighed those options, we felt that we will price them where we can price them as low as possible. But you know, these restrictions and the cost of being um, getting approvals, you have to pay. Every time you process with the city or the state, the homeowner has to pay for that processing fee, somewhere between $50 and $600 a year. Um, my feeling was that we would provide these workforce housing prices, but we wouldn't have these requirements. And yeah, that's so the you whole. don't have to get any approvals in order to. Oh wow! That's but you know, really... there's a law that just got that would pass through Senate, and hopefully, it doesn't pass through House. They want to make any project that is under these programs for uh, with tool using a law called uh, state law 201H, which is a process that expedites the the, the permitting for affordable housing. They want to keep it in perpetuity, whether it's for sale condo or for rentals. So at rentals, if you're using tax credit deals like the senior housing that I'm telling you, it's going to stay perpetual no matter what. But when you're dealing with um, for sale housing, you as a homeowner, would you ever buy a unit that have a forever requirement that you can only sell to someone that makes the lower income and that you can't finance without their approval and you can't well, you know, rehab your unit without their approval and you have to pay them and report to them every year. Would you want that forever on your property? No, it, it diminishes my options and, and the value. And well, the, possibility the American dream is, you know, generating wealth for yourself by sacrificing today mm -hmm. and putting in that down payment, cleaning up your credit and paying your, your mortgage, which may or may be higher than what the rent is in Hawaii. It definitely is. Your mortgage is usually higher than your rent. Um, only to be restricted that, that way. So I think the philosophy I do not agree with. So I'm trying to develop projects that is, again, a gap, but without these types of restrictions. You know, we're looking, I, I asked you before about the future of the city and the quality of life in the city and how developers mm -hmm. can, you know, create that. 
and um, build a city that we can all enjoy and, and love more than we do. And uh, the, the kind of project you're talking about is exactly that. So yes, okay, we need a, a full diversity of pricing and projects and all that. But if you ask me, I think the, you know, the majority, not the plurality, but the majority ought to be what you're talking about, because that gives our young people options and oppor opportunities that will keep them here, that will make life worthwhile economically for them. Yeah. So uh, I hope you have lots of other projects in your mind that are just like the one you described. I hope so. And I'll tell you the truth. It touches me that you're talking about my building, the Davies Pacific Center, which I was so close to for so many years. It, it strikes me that, gee, if, if I wanted to you know, have a unit downtown, if I wanted to enjoy you know, all the things that you're talking, you're building, well, I would buy one. So, Christine, can you put me on your list? Okay, just absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, anyone who's interested in in being on our list for the pre-sales, um, of course, it has to be a Hawaii resident and owner occupant for the pre-sale. You know, uh, and then we'll have a pre-sale for the investors because we do want to have rental options available for those who can't afford to put the down payment, right? So, um, email me and email at um, info at avalonhi.com. <laughs> I'm glad we had this conversation. So, you know, you spoke early, or I did, or we both did, about the different flavors of developer and how you're different than, you know, what we might <laughs> imagine. And I wonder if you could, you know, if you could discuss that in greater detail, because, you know, people see developers as, you know, from somewhere else, a lot of them, um, who, um, you know, are, you know, three-piece suits and, uh, you know, who, who, uh, um, don't really understand perhaps the growth of the state and the city. You're different. What is what is the difference in terms of you know the way you see yourself? I see myself as a um, you know creator of communities, which most developers do see. But I, I see myself more as process driven. A successful developer needs to be able to raise capital and have huge visions and take huge gambles. Of course, now, you know, we're, we are doing some of that, and but I'm more very process driven. I, I think through everything and, you know, we're really looking for the narrow niches. And um, I would say we're a lot more conservative than most of the developers. Mm, interesting. So what about COVID? You know, I, I mean, it strikes me that COVID had an effect and certainly had an effect on downtown, but it had an effect on, you know, business and development in Hawaii and in Honolulu. Mm -hmm. uh, for the past couple of years, and it was not necessarily a positive effect. Um, on the other hand, if you look at this uh, it's sort of in a philosophical way, uh, every challenge like COVID is is also an opportunity. And I wonder how you saw that and how you fared uh, through the period of COVID. Well, we have a property management arm. So during COVID, we hunkered down and we worked every day to make sure that we provided services to all our tenants who ended up staying home more than anything else. And so uh, we have about a thousand units under our belt and, you know, about two million square feet of uh, tenanted spaces. Uh, businesses, especially retail and restaurants, they were very challenged and I felt for them. And so the properties that I owned, you know, we, we actually worked it out with them and we had amazing community driven lenders who helped us carry these tenants during that duration some tenants didn't pay rent for six months to a year wow. while they recover now not every landlord can be that 
But a landlord who lives in Hawaii, like myself, we can. So where I could make a difference, we did that. And we asked our lenders for that help and they gave us time to pay back. So we were able to give uh, our time to our, our tenants to give back. So during COVID, what, what I felt was that there were differentiating, you know, different, you can be different kinds of landlords and having Hawaii-based landlords where they can see and touch what's happening with our people, our neighbors, you know, the people who you see at Long Drugs, um, you know, shopping and what have you, they were impacted and truly impacted, but be able to become that, you know, part of that community, I really saw it firsthand. Now, other than, you know, this whole transition of vacancy and office space, which, which is happening, but you know, it, it wasn't COVID. It was that technology. Technology's advancement has led to less need of office. Um, you can work anywhere, but COVID just accelerated that you know, downward spiral of office demand. What I'm seeing now that the offices are coming back, most people actually want to come back, but they don't want that 3,000 square foot office anymore. They just want 1,500 square feet. So there's a downsizing of office space, but not necessarily eliminating completely. It's a sea change. <clears throat> and um, a developer has to be, you know, intimately acquainted with sea changes in the market, in lifestyle, and in, in, you know, public sensibilities. It's so many things you've got to watch for. And, um, you know, I was, I was, you know, saying early on that um, the developers uh, build our community and we want them to, to be sensitive to these things. And we also want them um, to, we want them, we want more of them is, is, is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> we want more, more Christines. Uh, we want a generation of, of local kids out of UH or whatever uh, to come or come back and participate in building our state and, and making it sustainable long-term for quality of life. And so, aye, aye. Thank aye, you. Aye. So suppose <laughs> some young person is watching this show, yeah. meeting you or re-meeting you, as the case may be, like me. Um, and what is your advice to them about how to achieve this, how to get into that community and be strong enough and smart enough and sensitive enough um, to, to build and rebuild our state? Well, you have to understand your community. And two, you have to have a lot of conviction that what you're doing is the right thing. Because there's so many people who are saying nay, right? NIMBYs, um, policymakers, they don't want to help you. They want to make sure that nothing changes. So I say that someone who wants to be a developer has to be a change agent, first and foremost. They must have a lot of courage and thick skin to be able to um, you know, persevere and move things forward. And, and those are the main major characteristics that you have to have before you can say that you could be in development. But we mentor young kids all the time. And I'd say that if you want to make a change, start now by reading the newspaper and reading all of the things that are going on at the city council and at, at the state legislature, because it's the policies that govern what we do. And we need to make sure that we're the uh, guardian of, um, you know, good policies and promoters of good policies to make sure that we, we can change, um, you know, the, the plights of our, our community. And that's really what, what I feel that I am. I feel that I'm here 
to infuse my level of expertise, what little that I might have, to create opportunities to help fix the problems that we have in, in our community. And I'm very fortunate that I can make an impact. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back, um, because it's got to be more than 10 years ago, where we did a program about, um, you know, uh, development and investment in Hawaii. I think, we, I think it was offshore investment, but it was development in general. Yeah. And you were part of that. You were a member of our panel. And I was so happy to have you on our panel because uh, you were so promising. And, and now, you know, you, uh, I consider you, Christine, very successful. You've stayed the course, right? Developers aren't always able to do that. And you stayed the course. You've taken the risk. And you've done such creative and nourishing things for our community. And I am so happy to see you again and to see you successful and to see you on our show. So thank you very much. Mahalo, mahalo. Thank you very much, Jay, for having me. It's Christine Cam, Avalon, Hawaii, joining Think Tank. I hope we do this again soon. Aloha. Thank you. Aloha. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, Please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.